it'll same with the market. It'll come in fits and starts and create. They'll they'll make mistakes. They'll correct them. Uh, they'll make mistakes. The industry will help correct them, and we'll get it all sorted out. But that's the opportunity and that's the advantage. So when there's uncertainty in the market, that's the advantage. There's a great quote, and it might have came from Ken Fisher. If you're waiting for certainty in the S&P 500, you're going to pay a heavy price for it. So if you're waiting for all those regulations, well, that tranche of people already just purchased and just raised your price. So if you're waiting for that certainty, it's a heavy price to pay, and some people will. And you think about when the last time you thought the S&P was certain, well, it was at the top of the last bull market. We'd rather buy when there's less certainty, but we know the risk and we know there's certainty in the future. So we'll get a discounted price and uh, I'll take advantage. And that's like... Yo, this is Christian D. Evans with Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to our amazing podcast. This is where we reveal the top 1% of business concepts and systems and processes to scale eight and nine figure businesses. We interview top level eight and nine figure CEOs, business owners, and amazing TEDx speakers like David Meltzer. We got Nick Cavuto, Pascal Bachman, and so many others. And if you feel like this resonates with you, please share this with your friend, your family, and make sure you impact them as well because we're trying to spread the message on those that do not know how to scale eight, nine figure businesses and talking higher level business concepts. So guys, remember, enjoy the episode and be uncommon if you can. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning into Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. I'm your host, Christian D. Evans. Now, we have all heard about blockchain and cryptocurrency, and you're out there on the golf club, and you're going out there and talking about your friends and saying, oh, what, what are you invested into? Are you invested in crypto of some sort? Well, now all of a sudden, when the market tanks, then everybody shuts up, and we're like, no, I didn't invest in that. I, I didn't lose any money. Well, guess what? Have you ever been in that situation? Of course, we all have. Now, we've all probably have either you know, lost our shirt and some crap, but also we also understand that there's a massive trajectory. We have some of these top amazing business people and individuals out there that are saying, hey, crypto is the next future. It is going to be revolutionary. And so we can't totally ignore it as an investment strategy. So that's the reason why I have this next guest on, which is the managing partner and investor relations of Globe 3 Capital. Now, what they do is they empower investors to diversify they're across the blockchain, cryptocurrency, and digital assets space by easing of a single platform, which is their hedge fund. Now, they bring their investors, experience, and expertise in Web3, blockchain, and cryptocurrency technology while providing them with the full spectrum of exposure to the blockchain ecosystem. So you don't have to sit there and unpack 18,000 different kinds of coins. What should I focus on? What should I shouldn't focus on? All that shenanigans, all that crap. Guess what? That's the reason why we have this next expert on. Please welcome, like I mentioned, the managing partner and investor relations, my friend, Jeff Embry. Hi today, Jeff. Couldn't be better, Christian, and thanks so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure being with you, and uh, couldn't have been a better intro. Uh, you've certainly done your homework, so that's why we exist. Well, Jeff, I really appreciate you being on here as well. And you know, before we dive into all the what Globe Three Capital is doing and just the amazing fund that it's building and an amazing resource that it's it's giving to investors and family offices and uh, so many individuals, I want to talk a little bit about, of course, the pains, the frustrations, uh, because in fact, um, right here, uh, one of the one of the best things that Kevin O'Leary said, he said, which is Mr. Wonderful, he says, crypto is going to become the 12th sector of the S and P 500. It's going to happen over the next few few years watch and why that's so important is we understand that but i think so many people don't know exactly how to navigate and one of the pain points even some of the most successful stock traders in the s p are getting their shirt handed to them in the crypto space so let me just explain a little bit more about the pain the frustration that you're kind of seeing with family offices and investors of all kinds yeah it really goes to the psychology of investing i was fortunate in my background in my career I've spent 16 years in the private money management, high end, high net worth, ultra high net worth. And I learned from a gentleman named Ken Fisher, Fisher Investments. And his big study is behavioral finance. And what that is, is the study of the mind and how we make decisions around money, finance, business cycles, market cycles, and why it's different than maybe all our other decision making processes. So. The frustration, I guess, right now isn't necessarily with the market cycle. 
Market cycles happen. They come, they go, they're healthy. They're like a forest fire. They clear that underbrush out, all that bad stuff. It allows the forest to grow healthier, provide nutrients, and it goes through its next cycle. And that's really the way to think of these bear markets. So a lot of people say, hey, you know, one of the big questions we get is why would you start now? You know, Bitcoin used to be at 69,000. Now, real quick for your listeners, we do not invest in Bitcoin, but we'll use that as a proxy throughout this because it's like the index of the S&P 500. So a lot of people will ask, why now? Why wouldn't you wait for a little more certainty? Well, actually, if you believe in cycles and you believe in that global macro um, uh, healthy business cycle of just what's called creative destruction. At the bottoms of bear markets, as Warren Buffett says, you only see who's not wearing shorts when the tide goes out. And so you get these folks that have created bad business models. You get these folks that have, you know, the shenanigans, the bad actors. Well, the guys that over leverage, over collateralize. So when the market peels off and is down 40, 50, 60, 70%, these guys tend to get washed out of the system. And the good actors, the guys that did it right, built slowly, didn't over collateralize. They learned from the guys that went out of business. Terra Luna is a great example if your listeners are familiar with that. Um, so, so for us, the only really frustration is not a frustration. Uh, our frustration is, yeah, people are less apt to buy when prices are lower. Actually, I've got a great quote for you, Christian. Um, the, the stock market, the capital markets, and crypto's involved in that now, it's a capital market, are the only markets in the world where people buy less when prices are low and they buy more when prices are high. And you know, you think about it, you're buying a Toyota truck, you walk into the dealership, they discounted at that second $4,000, you're gonna say, thank you very much and you're gonna buy it. If the stock market is down, 4% this morning, you're going to be less apt. And if it's down 40% from the peak, you're going to think it's going to continue rather than just looking at it as a pricing mechanism. So now transfer that to the thought process of people coming aboard, clients, family offices, even institutions, they see more risk in the marketplace now after the market's down 40, 50, 60, 70% uh, than, than if they had seen it and entered the space when Bitcoin was 60,000. And so here's the crux of it. My partner and I often talk and we say, well, would we rather have 30 clients now at Bitcoin 20,000 or 90 clients at Bitcoin 50, 60,000? And when you think of it from that perspective, it's a no brainer. So what really is the fly in the ointment is really an advantage and an excitement point for us. Um, when you're looking in the future. Yeah, what is so incredible about this is the evolution of, you know, cryptocurrency. A lot of people, a lot of, you know, very large investors said, no, nah, this is not really, you know, should be aware of this. Then obviously it's becoming even more prevalent. And there are certain things you mentioned, um, you know, 18,000 kind of different th uh, different coins out there. Uh, and a lot of people just don't have the, the time, the space, the bandwidth, the knowledge to do their due diligence to say, hey, this is what I'm going to invest into. This is what I'm not going to. Now, before we dive into your focus points, which we're going to talk about here, you guys have an infinity fund, okay, which is an actively managed aggressive risk hedge fund for individual families, family offices, and businesses. I'd love for you to explain kind of the evolution before we dive into the infinity fund, but of the evolution, yeah. where did that come from? What made you decide, hey, you know what? I see this big pain that's going on. What made you, Jeff, and your partner be able to come together and build, you know, uh, Globe 3 Capital? Yeah, you know, it's really an intersection of four things, opportunity, timing, expertise, and a little bit of luck, maybe a lot of luck. Um, we always, when he and I speak, and his name's Matt Layson, we always take it back to the internet days because this is a very similar iteration of this amazing revolution that all came into our lives in the mid nineties. And we felt like we were sitting right in the stadium or on the sidelines of the football game, the Super Bowl, and we wanted to get in, right? And so we've seen this evolution of over the last 25 years. And now what Web3 is in digital assets and cryptocurrency is just that next iteration of the revolution that we actually think is going to be as big or bigger. So you take that into effect. Um, the, the opportunity was in front of us. Uh, we're getting 2017 Bitcoin pricing at 2022 development. And so we said, hey, here's an amazing opportunity to get 
a discounted price with all this development. DeFi's come in, NFTs, five years of just people thinking through this and developing processes and foundations for that next leap forward in digital assets. Uh, the timing was great. I was in transition, planning on taking the summer off and spending it with my daughter. Uh, and uh, and got speaking with Matt, you know, Layson, my partner, and his timing was great. And he's got a couple businesses on autopilot. And he spent the last eight years of gaining the experience part of, of he, what was originally a hobby of his. He purchased Bitcoin in 2014, uh, turned what his story, $300 into $3,000, right? And saw that coin go up, sold it, and then saw it go to 17000 and said, hey, I've missed something here. This is really amazing. So he went down what the industry calls the rabbit hole. And that's where he got his experience. He got it as just a hobbyist. Then it turned into a passion, a money-making passion. And then he became the subject matter expert to all of our family, friends, and people would go to him just to try and learn any tidbits they could because this, this space is so complex. I was one of those guys. So I was commuting in at 536 in the morning. And he and I, my you know, last 30 years have talked three, four times a week. So I'd talk to him in my early morning commute every time he'd turn to crypto. And uh, and he just kept saying, hey, this person, this family member wants to give me money, um, but he just can't take a check. And one day I said, why don't you open a hedge fund? You've got all the experience and expertise. I put you against anybody in the industry. And he said, that's the dream. That's always been my dream. I'd love to do that, but I don't want to deal with the back office, right? The 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 uh, foundational stuff, the the accounting, the investor relations, all the things that come together that make a business complex. He said, I just want to manage the crypto. That's where I would come in. He said, that's your expertise. And I said, you're right. And so that's really where it formed, Christian, is on a drive, early in that drive. And we said, are we talking about something here? And he said, absolutely. So we spent the next half hour just getting each other excited and said, all right, let's commit to this and let's talk through all the issues of building a business, which is what your podcast is often about and the complexity of it. And just working through, are we on the same page of, a, of how we would want to manage, how we would want to diversify, what we would invest in, what we wouldn't invest in, and what would be the next steps? And uh, that's where it came together. So one, that was the opportunity to the timing, the experience. And then the fourth part, uh, the luck. Um, as we started talking in April, Bitcoin had already been selling off and had been coming off the 69,000 peak, dollar peak and moved into the 40s. And we're like, wow, wouldn't this be a great time to start? Then we moved into May and it moved into the 30,000 range. And then we decided about mid-May, this is a full go, 100%, both of us. Um, this is our future. This is the rest of our lives. Uh, let's build this and build it right. And Bitcoin moved into the 20,000s. And we said, oh my gosh, this is the, I mean, we just bought the lotto ticket. We couldn't imagine Bitcoin being down 70%, uh, percent, you know, even 60%, 70%. This is when you want to start a business. No one else will. Everybody else started at the top of the last bull market. So uh, mid-June, it was full go. Lawyers came in, got everything done for us. By early July, we took off, and that was the formation of Globe 3 Capital and our Infinity Fund. We're starting small, uh, you know, just a $10 million fund because we're bringing in the family, friends, that concentric circle, and then the next network of circles. In fact, golfed with a couple guys yesterday, and they're that extra circle. Um, they're both coming in, and, uh, and uh, just a $100,000 minimum. So we'll start here, establish our track record get all the referees on the field for our um, uh, fund administrators, accountants, lawyers, et cetera. And then the next fund will be larger and more expansive. And I really appreciate you kind of laying that out a little bit. You mentioned something I want to loop back around in regards to kind of the criteria, what to invest and what not to. And I think a lot of our you know, audience are kind of probably asking the same questions. Like, well, how did you guys, you know, as Globe 3 people be able to ascertain you know, that criteria and that filtering process, say, hey, this is our strategy, this is what we're gonna focus on, and this is what we're not gonna focus on, this is all garbage. What did that due diligence look like? What did that criteria, that filter process look like, Jeff? Yeah, yeah, see, I didn't have to necessarily go through those eight years of rabbit holes like my partner. Um, you know, I often call him, he's the brains of the operation, right? He's the guy with the propeller head that just has gone down and, and and again, the advantage here was as a hobby, not as a job. So in 2014, 15, 16, 17, he's reading about these guys that are working with Vitalik Buterin at Ethereum, uh, I mean, Ethereum, and, and building these 
ERC codes and different um, apps. And so he's getting to know these guys because he's interested in it. And then these guys spin off and they create other companies. And so when you, you know, when I talk to him, he says, yeah, I've spent, I don't know, 4,000, 6,000, 8,000 hours just having fun, getting to know the spaces best I could. And he even tried coding at one point. So that's where the experience really came in. And he managed his own money for years and years and years. Then he started managing mine, taught me how to do it, taught me what to buy. Why? And I would say, why do you own it? Why do you not own this? This looks good. I you know, read a great article on it. And he would just blister it and be like, okay, he just unpeel that onion, seven layers. And I go, boy, I want nothing to do with that. But you can see how people could easily get trapped into it. So as we started developing our philosophy, we said, all right, we want to be diversified. We want to be spread out. Uh, we want about eight to 18 tokens. We don't want the big guys. Uh, the value is been seen and it's there and it's harder to exponential those, even though we believe they all will. But folks, anybody, my neighbors can buy Bitcoin and Ethereum off of PayPal now. They can easily open an account on Coinbase. So why would they hire us and our expertise um, in our formation of this hedge fund to purchase stuff they can easily get? We want to get this hard, this stuff, hard stuff to get, the stuff that takes, you know, 300 hours to find the right protocol that you want to use and why. The guys that have great money behind them, that have a proven track record, that are building what we call, you know, the mine the miners mentality. We want to be the toll roads. So we want to own the guys that are building the toll roads of the future where you pay a few pennies every time you cross that road. Um, the picks and shovels, the, you know, the tents, sell the tents, the picks and shovels, the jeans, to the miners because there's just thousands and thousands and will be tens of thousands of them. And those guys will determine who wins along those lines. But if we have the foundational type of projects, protocols, and use cases, they will create value and money off of all that and truly, again, be the foundation. So when you ask, what do we buy? We already had it as we were developing our idea of an investment vehicle for the average guy that just wants to get in and get exposure and diversification in this case, we had already built it out for our money. And so now our money is also alongside, because it's a partnership, that's what a hedge fund is, all of our investors' money. And uh, so that's how we chose our coins, our, our liquid tokens, as we call them. No, and I really appreciate you sharing that because it's it's nice to see this amazing synergistic partnership where you got one that's the, the SME for that crypto, understanding the criteria, understanding what that is. And like you mentioned, I think I've been in the same situation where I've read something on a beautiful article. I'm like, hey, that sounds cool. And then obviously yeah. later on when I'm talking to someone that's way more established in this due diligence, et cetera, they're like, they, they unpack that a little bit. And you know, it's one of those things that I always look at in contextual. It's like, hey, you could go and, you know, do your own heart surgery, open yourself up, or you could find a doctor that's much better at it than you are. And that's kind of what you guys are, basically, in that analogy. It's like, hey, you could go and buy your own Ethereum. You could go and use these platforms, but you have no, you have no idea what the hell you're doing, really. And you just, you heard right. it from some friend when you were golfing and <laughs> be able to have someone right. like yourself that's able to unpack that at a very deep level. Now, I want to talk a little bit about kind of um, the trajectory of where you guys are going. Like you mentioned, um, you know, developing the Affinity Fund. Um, just to share with some stats, and I thought this was really, really incredible. In 2016, $18 billion cap uh, market cap for the crypto space. In 2019, $190 billion by the end of that year. Uh, just massive trajectory. And then also one thing, market cap of goal, um, in Q2022, uh, the global cryptocurrency market cap is approximately one trillion dollars. So it's so it's right. so behemoth that it's literally a, a market we cannot deny. And I think that's why investors are so top of mind, even family offices and accredited investors, et cetera, that are like, hey, I want to take advantage of it, but it's like they just don't. I'd love to just tell me a little right. bit about like kind of the vision of Globe Three and just explain what that looks like for you because I'm I'm excited for you guys. Yeah, and thanks for bringing those facts up, Christian. It's real important for people to see that trajectory. And when when you lay the trajectory of cryptocurrency, digital assets, a lot of people call it Web3, over the line of the internet, they almost perfectly overlap, right? They go at about the same pace. 
And so if we look back at the internet, we just say, geez, that was so amazing at the adoption. You know, the, the humankind has never seen anything like that. And this space is the same thing. So not only today is the market cap of cryptocurrency one trillion, it was three trillion just about a year ago. So that's a two-thirds discount. You give me a two-thirds discount on anything that I believe is valuable and more valuable in the future. I'm all over it. And that's kind of the mentality of, you know, Matt Lace and myself and Globe 3 Capital. So where's the trajectory? We wanted to start small. We wanted to do it right. Get that foundation down, those fund administrators, what I call the referees on the field, the guys that are monitoring every dollar, every, and, and it's expensive. It's not easy. And it's taken a lot of time from us, you know, building this, but that's okay. Um, get our family and friends in, get more people into this space so they can start reading about it and getting excited about it. And that's our contribution to Web3. It's a very collaborative space. Everybody's helping each other advance it and it's coming quick. Um, uh, so start small, keep it simple. We Oh, just as important to tell you what we don't do is what we do do. We don't do derivatives. We don't short. We don't collateralize, meaning we don't borrow money on what we own. We've seen a lot of those guys go away. They got greedy. Hey, that's fine. This place, place and space is too exciting, too exponential to be goofing around on the edges. No way. So keep it simple. Buy the protocols that are buying the future. And that'll be our first fund. So when this fills up, um, we figure in about six months, nine months, a year, we start getting some great traction. We do believe this bull market is about to enter. And if we can get the momentum of that and we bought great vehicles to, alongside of it, then about month nine, maybe one year, we start getting introduced to the institutions and we build a bigger fund. And so we've got a couple different ideas. One, this fund is just liquid tokens. Again, keep it simple. Um, get everything in place. The second fund, we probably will do a combination of liquid tokens and pre-seed, seed, a round type money. So more on the venture capital angel investor side, because we're being brought so many companies and we welcome a ton of them. We just want to get to know everybody out there and who's building what. And that also gives us an advantage to what we'll buy later. So we're getting introduced to these companies, these amazing people that are working stealthily and they'll be the future as well. And then the next iteration will be institutional money. And you're starting to see a lot of uh, articles come in, BlackRock, Fidelity, um, big family offices. They all know that they need exposure diversification and this will be the future. They don't know how to get there. So we're not ready for them yet, but we will be. And when we are, um, Globe 3 gets a lot bigger. That's awesome. And so I'm curious with the proper expectations. I was talking to a wealth manager the other day, and even during this time, markets kind of going all over. A lot of investors are just, you know, holding cash just because, you know, it is what it is. And they have some sort of strategy. It's like with anything, you have to have some sort of strategy plan and deploy that and stay with it and be disciplined with that. And the same thing with because the cryptocurrency, it's still kind of establishing, if you will. So obviously, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs. And with that, there's a lot of corrections, which is good because it gets rid, like you mentioned before, it burns the field. It gets rid of all the, the negative negative stuff a little bit, all the all the, uh, all the spammers or whatever, and kind of you know yeah. levels it out again, which is good. It's not going away, but it's more of just being able to have the right expectation and proper expectation when investing in this in this, um, in this this field, in this kind of environment. So I'd love for you to maybe just explain that a little bit for our audience and saying, hey, you know what? We're, we're playing the long game 20, 30 years out instead of just thinking, you know, two, three, five years and kind of, wow, we made a lot of money and then pull out, liquidate it, et cetera. Well said, Christian, um, and, and great topic. This is the long game. Uh, and as that quote you read from Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary, he says, I truly believe uh, the, the digital asset space, the crypto sector, will be the 12th sector of the S&P 500 in the next few years. Watch. One of my favorite quotes out there. And if you think about that, what he's saying is this is the next component to a multi-trillion dollar global capital market. It's just nascent right now. So you touched on a few parts that I love talking about, validity and certainty. Um, when you think of the early internet days, just how volatile uh, not only technology, but those stocks were. Now they've settled in. And I've got another great stat 
that, and you see that as more people like us come in, as banking comes in and, and puts valid, validation around it, as the governments put some guardrails and regulation, that's all validity, that's all certainty. And that allows the guy that's sitting on the sidelines and the institution to say, yeah, I, I just don't know, to now go, it makes sense to get there. And so everybody has their part to play. Um, one of the one of the quotes, uh, shoot, I uh, was going to give you, just, just slipped out of my mind. But um, so we do believe in that long game, the 20, 30 years for us, we're looking out 10. And we always tell investors, this isn't the grocery money. This isn't money that you're going to need in one, two, three years. Are we fine with it? And are we fine you know, buying down here at the bottom? We think a lot of the risk is wrung out of the towel, right? That water. Um, but there could be more to go. So you don't want to invest in a space like this that is so clearly new and has such high volatility that that drop and as temporary as it could be could affect you if you need that money in the next year or two. Now, we don't lock up the money for that long. It's just we can liquidate at any end of quarter. But we don't want people to do the short term stuff. This is the longer stuff that you can say, hey, no big deal that it's down like Bitcoin right now, 60, 70 percent. Um, no big deal that, you know, it was up 300% and now it's down in hundred uh, percent. Oh, one of the facts that I was going to tell you a second ago to, to show you how the, the validation and the credibility of spaces condenses the volatility of the asset pricing. There's a great quote out there. Um, and I might mess up the numbers a little bit, but Amazon. So go back to Amazon 2005. You and I would think, oh, we were all buying off of it. It was great. We knew it was going to be long-term. It was a great stock at that point. They were still finding their way. Between 2005 and 2017, a 12-year gap, not one year during that period, was Amazon down less than 30% from its peak to its trough and as high as 58%. So every single year, and most of those years were bull market years, Amazon was trying to find that certainty, that validity, people didn't understand it. And the volatility was absolutely excessive. Now we look back and we say best stock in the world, one of the most valuable companies in the world and look at the volatility it went through. Perfect example to crypto. We know it's the future. We know it's gonna be here. You can't believe the things that Matt and I are seeing and just people telling us what they're building. Our minds are exploding. And Matt's been doing this eight years. You know, it's just funny. We got off the, the phone with uh, a new company, uh, geez, I think Monday. And I said, hey, I, did, I didn't understand a lot of that. He goes, I didn't either. <laughs> you know, and this guy is building just a rail that doesn't exist right now. And uh, it's going to be amazing. So another new company we get to follow. But there's a lot of that. And so it's going to go through fits and starts. But, you know, if your listeners can just remember, it's just market cycles. And if you play that long game, then the certainty comes in from the duration, not necessarily that investment. So spread out, diversify across sectors. You're not going to pick all winners, winners. And there's just so much exponential in this future that uh, we think we're gonna all do just fine. And I like what you said there in regards to kind of, you know, validation as well as certainty. And as these larger hedge funds and as the government is kind of building these, these guardrails, it helps build that foundation. A great analogy from early, you know, dot-com boom. It wasn't going away. It just had to kind of recalibrate a little bit. And that yeah. just comes naturally with kind of the ecosystem. So having that right anticipation. Now, I do want to mention something, loop back on regards to uh, the government. A lot of governments, obviously, they're realizing that this is becoming a you know, an investment class, et cetera. And they're kind of right. figuring out how to pave the path a little bit in regards to their own regulation, their own systems and process. Now, I know we're not in government. I know you don't have a government position, but I'd just love to get your opinion on that. Um, where are you seeing yeah. uh, kind of government kind of hold in with, uh, you know, the crypto space? Is it going to be very regulated? Is it going to be? Uh, and then as well as how should these people anticipate or allocate this asset class? Um, you know, because I know real estate has certain tax advantages that's one of the reasons why depreciation etc same thing with stocks and there are certain things you could do this is slightly a different asset class so maybe just talk a little bit about both of those things for me yeah another great subject so to go to regulation and go back to mr wonderful kevin o'leary um he would have told you 
two and a half years ago. He hated crypto. He hated Bitcoin, thought it was scammy, thought it was for the black market, wanted nothing to do with it. Today, he says 20% uh, of all my liquidity is, or all my investments are in the digital asset space. And he's on Capitol Hill. Uh, he says his, him and his team about once a month educating the educators. And it might surprise a lot of your listeners to know the industry is actually begging for regulation. We want those referees on the field, right? We want, and that's, and that is because then you get the validity, you get that certainty, you get the banking coming in, you get the, the investors coming in, you get the participants, you get the developers because they know, hey, I can fit within these regulations. So here's how it's really going to happen. The, the government, again, we all want it. If you're a good actor in the industry, you'll want it. And so we want them to start on the outside. So imagine, Christian, you and I come up with a game and we're playing it with friends in the park and it's football. And we're throwing this ball around and we're having fun and we're kind of all figuring it out ourselves. And all right, let's put 11 guys on each side and, you know, hey, everybody go out for a pass. And you start kind of bringing it together and you figure out how is this going to work, right? We want to bring more people into this space. And so eventually you get to a point where, hey, this is a lot of fun and we're getting some audiences and this is something that's going to be affecting in the future. So let's put some people that kind of can look in from the outside and study the game to make it so everybody can understand it and work within it and make it a better game. So that's what the government is doing right now. So us in the inside the industry is asking the regulators to work from the outside, stand on the outside of the sidelines right now and look in and start thinking of things that can improve. Like, hey, you can't grab a guy by the shirt and pull him down. You can't grab him by the face mask and yank it off. Um, you can't hold him when he's going out for a pass. So you start on the easy ones and then you get towards the middle. Now we all know the government will come into the middle eventually, put 97 people on that field and overdo it. That's all right, it's a long ways down there. And uh, I guess I'm gonna get audited now by the IRS uh, next year. But um, we want them on the field and we want them to start figuring it out. And if they start on the outside, then more people will come in. And the fidelities of the world, the Schwabs of the world, the banking systems, the institutions, and people will say, okay, the government's approving this. And now I can put my assets at risk or at work. Um, so that's, that's one aspect. And I know you had another question. Hey, I really appreciate it. I love your analogies, by the way. They just simplifies it for a lot of our audience and just really allows people to understand, oh, this this makes sense and in regards to what the, yeah. the, the lay of the foundation is. Uh, my second question as well was like the kind of the asset class in regards to like how they should approach this, how they should think about this a little bit. And like I mentioned, obviously real estate, they have certain advantages, um, disadvantages, and obviously same thing with S&P, uh, stocks, et cetera. So, and, and the same thing with the bond world, right? And so this, right. how should they allocate that? What are they thinking? Uh, because again, I know a lot of CPAs and financial advisors, you know, obviously they're looking at, okay, how do I, how do I figure this out? And then like you mentioned, the IRS as well, how are they um, right. allocating that? Yeah, so it is becoming an asset class, and there's a lot yet to be figured out. Um, so the regulations will help, and it'll start establishing that foundation and those guardrails that you and I like to say, and they, a stable coin. Um, and for your, your listeners, a stable coin is basically considered very much a, like a money market, right? So I sell Bitcoin. I need a place to park that money. I put it in a stable coin. I earn a nice interest above what would be considered a, a CD without having to lock it up. So it's a placeholder without having to move it back to the exchange or back to my bank. Um, that's where the regulation will start. And they'll put guidelines there that, hey, every stable coin I buy, I know is backed by a dollar, a treasury, gold, some asset that guarantees that my dollar is still worth a dollar, right? And that regulation wasn't there just a few months back when a few big companies like that blew up and helped, you know, kind of create this crater and this bottom of the bear market. So that's good on that side. Now, as an asset class, how do does the IRS come in and how does the government look at it? And right now, it's very much, I wouldn't call it a commodity, um, but I would call it an investment like anything else. If I trade, just as an example, I buy Bitcoin today and I sell it in a month and I make $5,000 off of it. That's a short-term gain. So, so it's an easy gain to capture and to recognize and to put on your IRS forms, 
Um, if it's over a year, it's considered a long-term asset. And the big question right now that maybe you were alluding to a little bit is, is the SEC involved that would consider it a security? So as an example right now, if I buy Amazon and it goes down and I sell it, I cannot buy it back for 30 days because um, I've got to let that 30-day window go past before I can purchase it and recognize the loss, okay? So that's ingrained in our taxation, our tax code. Right now, if I have a loss, and this might be valuable to some of your listeners, if they bought Bitcoin at 60000 and it's sitting at 20000 right now, which it is, they could sell it today, harvest that loss, bank $40,000 as a capital loss to put against another gain somewhere else, and buy it back tomorrow without that 30-day window that's necessary within the securities market. So that's part of the reason the SEC is looking at this saying, do we need to regulate it? And then CFTC. So all the regulators right now are battling for control and for position. And how do we do this? Right now, the CPAs can, can still get it correct on your taxes. Um, the exchanges deliver you forms at the end of the year like Schwab, and we can all calculate it. But you do have that nice window of being able to calculate the loss and buy it right away. So example, I've made 40,000 in Amazon. I lost 40,000 in Bitcoin. I sell Bitcoin today. I buy it tomorrow, cross them out. I owe no taxation on capital gains next year. But that window is going to close and we expect it to close quick. And that's part of the regulation. So the government comes in, says, hey, we need to stop this, correct it, adjust it. And then people say, okay, the government's back in this is really what, what that regulation and taxation is. So it's all coming and it'll all, it'll, same with the market, it'll come in fits and starts and create, they'll, They'll make mistakes. They'll correct them. Uh, they'll make mistakes. The industry will help correct them and we'll get it all sorted out. But that's the opportunity and that's the advantage. So when there's uncertainty in the market, that's the advantage. There's a great quote and it might have came from Ken Fisher. If you're waiting for certainty in the S&P 500, you're going to pay a heavy price for it. So if you're waiting for all those regulations, well, that tranche of people already just purchased and just raised your price. So if you're waiting for that certainty, it's a heavy price to pay. And some people will. And you think about when the last time you thought the S&P was certain well, was at the top of the last bull market. We'd rather buy when there's less certainty, but we know the risk and we know there's certainty in the future. So we'll get a discounted price and uh, I'll take advantage. And that's actually a really interesting point of view in regards to kind of what you're saying, where you can actually take a loss, because I've heard that rule in, in the, uh, yeah. uh, the securities, uh, but I didn't know that that was allowed over here on this side. Now, also your thesis, your investment thesis is you know blockchain as well. Now, blockchain is the technology that is yeah. the baseline of crypto, of every all, all crypto, basically. Right. Uh, and um, there's been a lot of research, a lot of development on that blockchain and how, why it's so secure and it's decentralized. And really, I think it's such a beautiful technology and it's obviously revolutionizing so many other industries, which is awesome. Now, you guys are investing or the hedge fund is also investing into that thesis as well. Um, now, I, I don't yeah. know if you'd be the one to talk on that, but I'd love for you to maybe just explain, um, you know, because there's this cryptos and then there's a the blockchain. What, what, what exactly are you investing into the blockchain? Yeah, you know, the, you set that up nicely, Christian, in a sense that people get stuck at blockchain almost like they did when I remember logging on the first couple of times on the internet, HTTP semicolon colon is the backslash this way. Is it this way? Then you got to put what dot WW, right? So they get stuck at blockchain just like that. Blockchain is just simply software is the easy way to think about it. And it's advanced software. It's permanent. It's more secure. It allows for more transfer of information and more clarity around that information. Now, I can be anonymous, but every transaction I ever do will be on the blockchain. The other great thing about blockchain is it can pull the friction out of the system, uh, the middleman, right? And so, so it becomes more efficient, and that's what capitalism is, really, when it's foundational. Is who has the most efficient system can create the most wealth, can create basically, you know, the most freedom um, for its citizens and its country. So that's what blockchain is. It's just that next iteration of productivity tool. So now go to cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency or Bitcoin 
is really just a digital transfer of stored wealth is, is the easiest and simplest way I know how to say it. So instead of me physically having to hand you a dollar, I can transfer digitally that same dollar. Now you can convert that dollar to something else. Um, you can invest that dollar, but it's just faster, more transparent, less friction fees. And if you think about it, the banks are really middlemen. So I heard a, uh, uh, and I haven't been able to verify it. You know, you think of Western Union as one of my best use cases. Um, the remittances, that's where people, migrants may come from South America to the US, they work and they send money back to their home called a remittance. I don't know what it costs in Mexico, 6, 10, maybe 12%, but I heard of one country, 17%. And that's that term friction. So somebody's got to go to work, collect a check, take their money to a Western Union, send it to another Western Union somewhere in Mexico. That person may have had to walk a half an hour or travel an hour to that Western Union office, travel back with that cash. And in the meantime, they lost 17% or let's just say 10% for you sake. So somebody puts in $20 an hour, 50 hours, they make a thousand bucks. They paid 10% to wire that money from San Francisco to Mexico City. That person only got $900, now can lose it, you know, can, they just had less. So that was really five hours worth of work just to send money. What Bitcoin can do and what cryptocurrency can now do is take that friction out, take those middlemen out. So that same person, and they all have cell phones, right? Everybody's got a cell phone. They can put the money on Bitcoin, stable coin, transfer it to Bitcoin, send it to their relatives for a dollar, $2, $3 transaction. They could send $950 to their relatives, keep 50 extra for themselves, their relatives get an extra $50. And it's much more secure, they didn't have to travel with it, they've got it locked in their phone, their phone could even be stolen, and they still own it. Right. So now they can spend it. And all these systems are being built out. Well, they can't spend it now at the grocery store next home, but they will be in a few years, maybe even a year, maybe six months. So that's what cryptocurrency is. It's a it's a store of value, not a currency, but a store of value that can be transferred easily, digitally, tracked transparently, and uh, way more efficiently and cheaply for everybody. And that's a great thing. Well said. Well said. Yeah. Every time, any, whenever anything becomes more accessible to more people, it's always beneficial for the overall population, which is really nice. And and I just, yeah. I think it's such a blessing to see how this is going to impact so many people. I'm talking about third world countries, and we could talk about that later as well. Now, I want right. to talk a little bit about um, um, with with this kind of infrastructure a little bit. Okay, establishing this 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 baseline. You guys have the Infinity Fund. I'm curious that that is focused on the crypto side, right? Cryptocurrencies, investing yeah. to that. Now, there yeah. is obviously some investors that are looking to invest into, um, you know, kind of the big players that are leveraging the blockchain as that technology to build their business, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Are you guys going to build a fund that's kind of in that where you guys are investing into those companies that are already pretty well established, very similar to almost like a, um, a mutual fund or an index fund that's being able to say, hey, you know what, we're investing to a portfolio of companies, et cetera, to make sure that we're solidifying and diversifying. At some point, I know this is phase one, focus yeah. on infinity fund, but I love to ask, you know, long-term, for those that are listening, thinking, hey, you know what, I'm in it for the long term and the trajectory of where, um, you know, Globe, uh, Globe 3 is going. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. Thank you. I'm glad to be able to clarify that a bit. We aren't anti-big crypto tokens. You know, we love Bitcoin. We love Ethereum. We just think that the, the pool we're playing in, most of our holdings is a market cap between 30 million and 200 million. So Bitcoin's, gosh, I should know this number. I don't know, 250 billion, 500 billion, maybe 600 billion. Um, Ethereum, 240 billion, I believe. So no, we're not going to own those because anybody can buy them. We don't want them paying us to buy something they can readily get. Do we discourage that? Absolutely not. Now, the next layer, the, the number three token through number 10 token. And I think that would be number the 10th largest cryptocurrency, I believe would be about 10 billion right now. Um, we own a couple in that top 10. 
uh, but very low percentages. What we call it is core and explore. So if we're going to go and we're going to take that high risk stuff, that stuff that we know we're not going to go 12 out of 12. You know, if we just go four out of 12, we'll all have a Merry Christmas and our investors will be very pleased. But uh, uh, we want a little bit of core. Now we need to hold a couple percent of Ethereum for gas fees so we can transfer to those harder to get coins and to transfer blockchains, et cetera. Um, and we'd love it. Uh, we've got a couple other big ones that are just three, four, 5% holdings. And again, just to anchor it a little bit, but also we think they're gonna do amazing things and we can learn a lot from them by owning them. Um, and then the rest of them are those 30 million to 200 million. Here's a, here's a great example. I like to tell people the advantage of this space. So obviously, you know, I come from a background of make your 10, 12% private money management and equities and your money will do great. I still believe in that. But the advantage here, getting a second shot at the internet I mean, Matt Lason and I always talk about we're getting a second chance here. One, we've got more experience. We're older, we're wiser, we hope. And we're getting almost exactly what happened in the internet days. But a couple other advantages. We've got the liquidity of those liquid tokens. So back in the day, and I've, you know, my favorite example is, let's say you and I uh, were hanging out in 1995, 96. And we said, God, this internet thing is going to be just amazing. It's the future. How do we get invested? Well, nothing's going to trickle down to you and I. All the venture capital, the private equity, they're going to get the good stuff. Anything that finds its way to us, we probably don't want to be involved with. The old saying uh, by what Groucho Marx or whatever, I never wanted to be part of a club that would accept me, right? You don't want to buy a, a private equity that finds its way to you and I. So um, that's, that's more of the garbage stuff. But here in the land of, of this next iteration of the internet of cryptocurrency, Matt Lason and I and Globe3 Capital, we can buy those projects when they're nascent, when they're just getting going, when we know who the teams are and that's through the token. So my example is we, you and I find Jerry Yang, he's the founder of Yahoo. And we find him in 1996 and we had followed him. He was a, let's say he's a, I don't know his background, big developer at Microsoft. And he just did some amazing things there. He built Outlook. He built all these different things. And he said, hey, there's an opportunity here that Microsoft's not going to take advantage of. I'll spin out. I'm wealthy. I've got money behind me. I'm going to bring teams with me. I'm going to stealthily build this idea. And, and we'll bring on investors, venture capital, private equity. And you and I, again, couldn't get into it. So we wanted to invest in him when he was 50 million and we knew he had great ideas and would be part of the internet in the future. Uh, we absolutely wanted him at hundred million, but we, our first purchase was at IPO at 1 billion. And maybe that day it doubled and it probably did. We might not have been able to get it into $2 billion, but we were happy to get it. And then it went to 20, 30, 40 billion, whatever it's had its problems since. Well, that, that value creation between when you and I recognized it and said, this is something, this guy should be invested in. And we'd put our money here between 50 million and 2 billion is a 40X, right? That's, that's substantial. That turns 100,000 into 4 million. Would we have been happy getting it at 2 billion? Absolutely. Um, and we would have done well. But how about getting it at 50, 000, or 50 million to 2 billion at IPO and then taking it to 10 billion? So that's the thought process here is now in the second iteration of Web3 digital assets, we, as a hedge fund, we can go and we ad can identify these projects that we've been following for two, three, four years. Matt has. He knows the teams. He knows the people that came with them. He knows what they built in the past. He knows they're wealthy because they bought Ethereum at $10, $20 a shot. So they didn't have to worry about money, but they brought in partners and other money. And now we can buy them when they're $50 million. And if we're right, and we don't have to be right on all of them, we can take them to a top 20 coin, which I believe is, oh boy, uh, maybe 5 billion now or 4 billion. And then as the market explodes, the top 20 is now a $20 billion market cap. So we have that ability and it's really that just second chance at the internet that we never knew we'd have. And uh, now we've got it. So that's the advantage of the liquidity of the tokens, the space we're in, that validity and credibility that's coming but isn't here yet and and then take that ride and go with it and just identify good teams good use cases good protocols and make good decisions
Man, I just, I love how you unpack that at such a simple level for so many people to understand, uh, because I know that we're still just a very similar to one of the reasons why a lot of investors didn't invest in Amazon was because they didn't understand we're on the internet. What, what does that even mean? Blah, blah, blah. Right. So there's a lot of those individuals. And so it's the same thing with, oh, the internet's not going to be here. Well, now it's very, very integrated with our life. The same thing with this platform. What I'm noticing is like a lot of people just don't understand it yet. And I love how you just unpack that very simply, understand that, that criteria, what's your strategy and really, you know, acknowledging the growth trajectory as well. Jeff, I just appreciate your time being on here. Plus, I love being on the uh, you guys as um, you know, Globe 3 Capital on the forefront, validating this industry even more so and building that you know infrastructure for those that are wanting to take advantage of this. They see that 20, 30 year long game plan and integrating this into their into their investment strategy. Um, always love to ask um, Jeff, you know, how can they reach out to you if they want to, you know, just learn more information, understand, kind of tap your brain, maybe even invest as well. Uh, what does that look like, Jeff? Yeah, thanks, Christian. Um, real easy. We're obviously have a web page. Hedge funds are famous for uh, being pretty stealthy and not giving too much, but there is a place on there where you can message us. And our website is globe, spell it G L O B E, the number three capital.com. So globe3capital.com. Matt Layson and myself, Jeff Embry. Uh, E-M-B-R-Y, are very active on LinkedIn. So you can ping us there, hook up with us. Uh, you know, we're happy to send you our investor deck, get to know us better and uh, happy to have a chat. So um, reach out any way you can. And uh, that's what we're here for. Awesome, guys. Those links will be in the description below. So make sure you stop what you're doing. And the reason why I want to have Jeff on is because just like I mentioned, I knew, I've seen a lot of people, you know, just have their, their shit handed to them and they don't know what they're doing. They want to take advantage of this opportunity. They see the long, long play. They see the opportunity, but, uh, you know, they, they don't they haven't done their due diligence. And so having someone like Jeff and Globe 3 Capital come come alongside you, already have the investment strategy, already have that analysis, already have that process established for you. So I really appreciate this. So those uh, links will be in the description uh, and make sure you connect with them on LinkedIn as well. Uh, Jeff, again, I appreciate you unpacking, being on here on our podcast. I'd um, love to ask my guests before I let you go fully, is there any last words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, we'll do the hard work for you. We've set everything up to make it easy. And uh, you know we're heavy on the communication side um, for our clients, what we consider partners, limited partners. We're all in it together. Our money's in it. And uh, let's take advantage of just what is in one of the most incredible spaces and opportunities we could get. And I want to thank you, Christian, uh, one of the absolute best podcasters out there. I've enjoyed your show in the past, and it's a real, real honor to be on it. And I look forward to coming back and telling you how things have gone. And that is my friend, the managing partner and investor relations of Globe 3 Capital, the one and only Jeff Embry. Guys, that is Journey with Christian Diaz podcast. Until next time, be uncommon if you can. Yo, this is Christian DeEvans, Journey with Christian DeEvans podcast. We thank you so much for listening to this amazing episode. If you feel and you know that this was valuable to you, please show some love to our amazing guest by liking this, by commenting on this, by making sure that you do a nice five-star review and just show some love to our guest. That'd be really awesome. Also, make sure you share this with a friend, a family, a colleague, someone that you believe would bring value to their life right now. Uh, and guys, we just wanna say thank you again for just being part of our community. If you wanna have more resources, don't be afraid, go to christiandevans.com. You can actually schedule a phone call with me or you can send me an email at christian.evans at beuncommonifyoucan.com. That's christian.evans at beuncommonifyoucan.com. Always love to hear some feedback and let me know what is the number one or two things that you are struggling in your business and your life and we'll make sure we have those conversations. Guys, that is Journey with Christian Davis podcast and until next time, remember be uncommon if you can. Cheers.